0: It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true, but I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Bridget O'Flaherty, also known as the Sustainable Quilter, is inspired by nature. She is passionate about our environment and feels an intimate connection to the landscape and wildlife of Canada. Bridget has worked in textile arts for over 25 years and is drawn to fiber for the tactile nature and connection it has to the land. She is an amazing thread artist using her sewing machine to build up layers of multicolored thread, drawing with needle and thread to convey the image. Depicting the Canadian landscape, the precious ecosystems, and wildlife with eco-fiber art, she hopes the viewer will take away an appreciation and connection to the beautiful, fragile aspects in nature. Bridget, thanks so much for joining us on A Quilter's Life. Thanks for having me here, Paula. It's really exciting to chat with you. Looking forward to this. Tell me about where you were born and raised. I grew up
1: in north of Toronto. So I was born and raised there and grew up in a little suburb, north of Toronto, but moved to the Ottawa region when I was in my early 20s. And my parents moved there as well. My family moved up to the Perth area near Ottawa. And so a little rural town outside of Ottawa. Did they follow you or did you follow them? It was kind of me there actually. I was 18, 19 and I was off at university in Ottawa and my dad happened to get transferred to a job in Perth. So it just made it easier for me because they were closer, rather than Toronto, they were closer in Perth. So I was already out of the house at that point.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Share a special childhood memory.
1: I guess one that relates to quilting and my textile world a little bit was a trip that my family took across the country. I was 10. I had cousins and my aunt here from England. They wanted to drive across Canada. People from England have no idea how big (laughs) Canada is. So we did it. We jumped in a station wagon with a trailer and the 10 of us in a station wagon drove across to the Rocky Mountains and back in two weeks, which was crazy. It was a crazy trip. But it was one of the first times that I have a really clear memory of appreciating nature and really kind of sitting with it. We got into Banff and I assume my mother told my father to take the children somewhere else so that she and her sister could have a bottle of wine <laughs> back at the campsite. So my dad took us all down to the water and we were we were just all playing around. There was seven of us playing. And I remember watching the sunset and actually stopping and seeing and remembering how beautiful it felt and just how small I felt in the world in that moment. And I was only 10. It was a really vivid memory for me. And it's really stuck with me. I really feel most at peace when I am in nature and I feel really connected to the land. And now I kind of look at that as sort of the beginning of my appreciation of nature.
0: Noticing that sunset, Do you still remember the colors of that specific one or just, you know, that that awakened you to watch for it?
1: Yeah, no, I remember the specific colors. There was mist on the water. There was just this beautiful feeling of quiet. And even though my siblings were off playing around, there was still this presence of quiet and the colors were really stunning. And yeah, it was a really significant time. And now I always stop and notice sunsets. I will pull over while I'm driving to look at a good sunset and just watch it. I don't need to record it. I don't need to take a photograph of it. I just want to watch it.
0: The photographs never do it justice anyway. No, no, they really don't. Can you share about your employment along the way?
1: My work career has not been linear at all. You know, my younger self, I worked at a theme park outside of Toronto and I was a ski bunny for a number of years. I used to teach skiing to little kids, downhill skiing. But then I got into my artwork at a really young age. I was in my early 20s when I started working with my mom at a quilt store and she owned the quilt store. And so I started learning about contemporary quilting and art quilting and started exploring that. And I met my partner during that time frame as well. And he lived in a community where everybody was artists. And so the idea of being an artist for a living had never occurred to me growing up. I grew up with a very conventional upbringing and the expectation that I would go off to school and get a career and maybe become a teacher or something like that. That was my trajectory. And then I met my partner and I went left of center really and ended up in a community where we just did things a little bit more alternatively. And you know, I live off grid now. I've been an artist for most of my life as an adult and I've done other things along the way, but my art has always been there as a business as well. I've been a real estate agent. I'm an energy advisor now for, I do sustainable building projects. So I help people figure out how to build better housing with sustainable materials and energy efficient. So yeah, I've had this sort of very circuitous route of things that have kind of led me to where I am today and who I am today. Yeah. That's a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. But each piece adds to our story, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It all contributes to where I'm at today. And I love that I've had the opportunity to work as an artist and have that fulfill me creatively, but also be able to contribute to the lifestyle that I'm wanting to live. It's been pretty great.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you tell us how you ended up where you are now from where you were born and raised?
1: Well, it was mostly that transition of going off to university and then my parents moving into the community that I'm in. So outside of the Ottawa region is Perth. And I ended up meeting my partner through my sister, (laughs) who knew his brother at the time. So we just ended up connecting really quickly and really, really well. And... After six weeks of knowing each other, decided to go on a trip across Canada in a van and spend two months driving around the countryside together. And then we stayed together until he passed away a few years ago. Yeah, so we basically put roots down in the community that he grew up in.
0: So sorry for your loss.
1: Mm, Thank you.
0: You just look too young to be a widow.
1: Well, widows come in all shapes and sizes. You know, I'm definitely younger. He was 47 when he passed. So yeah, he was he was young. We're young, but we also had 28 years together. So it was a pretty amazing relationship and pretty amazing time. We were able to really build a beautiful thing. We've had two kids together and we built this home together. It's a little octagonal off-grid house in the woods. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's all good. Again, like you say, all these things become part of the journey to lead you where you are. And I wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing if he hadn't died. So I'm pretty grateful for all those things.
0: hmm Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Is there anything else about your family you would like to share?
1: I guess one of the things that is my mom was a huge influence on me as a textile artist. When I grew up, she had something in her hands all the time. She had to have her hands doing something. She was always busy hands. So in the evenings, if we were sitting watching television, she was sewing and I did Irish dancing when I was a kid and so did my siblings. And my mom used to make our Irish dancing dresses. So she would always be hand embroidering those. And then when I got into quilting, she became one of my best friends. We would do quilt shows together. We would do artwork together. We would do all kinds of stuff. And she was my biggest cheerleader. And so that was a pretty amazing relationship. And she was also a kingpin here in the community in terms of teaching people how to quilt. She was one of our founding members of our local quilt guild. And she taught people how to quilt in this community. And so now I'm starting to do that and I've started doing an outreach program in the community at the library, just teaching quilting, just having people come and learn how to put a block together and learn how to sew and learn how to do the math, which is always daunting for people. But I feel like that's part of a legacy that she's leaving behind for me. And that's been really important for me to be able to embrace now. She also passed a few years ago. She had Alzheimer's. And that was really hard to watch. I had to sort of grieve her loss while she was still living because she was disappearing in front of my eyes and we were no longer able to have the relationship we had before. But now I have some space from all of that and I'm able to see the gifts that I got in the time that all of the people that I loved who passed have given me. Yeah, she was a really significant part of my upbringing and in me being a quilter today, for sure.
0: Mm hmm. What a special relationship, because not everyone gets that relationship with their mother. So that is really nice.
1: Yeah, no, I'm really grateful for that.
0: If you had the opportunity to tell your great, great grandchildren something about yourself, what would you want them to know?
1: I guess I'd want to apologize (laughs) for the state we've left the world in. Yeah, that would be my first thing is I'm sorry that we didn't do a great job of taking care of the earth for you. And that I try, that I'm working really hard to try and leave a light footprint on the planet. And that I'm trying to help other people understand how they can do that as well. A big part of what I do now in my quilting and in my textile work is focusing on sustainability and understanding what that can be. And it's different for everybody. There is no one right answer for sustainability. There's no formula. There's no magic trick in all of it because it depends on where you are, who you are, what you have available to you. And I think that we all can maybe just do our best and that's enough. It's better than not doing anything. And I guess I would want those great, great grandchildren to know that I've done my best. I've tried to make the difference I can in my life to leave the planet for them to be healthy and
0: flourishing. Thanks. That's great. Other than quilting, do you have other crafts that you do or that you have done in the past? I do many,
1: many things. I don't know that I would say that I do any focused other crafts. Like I've made clothing. I've done natural dyeing. I do felting. I've done woodworking. I've done carving. I built my house. So that was a big craft that I had to learn how to do. I've done gardening. I like doing gardening a lot. I used to hate gardening, (laughs) but now... I actually like gardening, and that actually happened through COVID because my kids were here with me. I have adult kids now, and they really wanted to start a garden because they were bored. But I knew they were going to be leaving, so I'm like, okay, well, if you guys start a garden, like, who's going to take care of it? Oh, no, 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 we'll take care of it. Don't you worry. Of course, they didn't. So now I'm taking care of the garden, and I actually really like it. And I'm starting this year. I'm actually starting some dye plants too. I'm doing indigo and woad and weld and some Coryopsis and some black hollyhock and. Anyway, I'm very excited. I'm going to put a dye garden in this year.
0: Oh, neat. Yeah. Bridget, do you think your hobbies or other crafts show up in your quilting? I know your art does.
1: Well, yeah, I think so because I have this love of nature and mostly what I focus on in my quilt work is free motion embroidery and art quilts. And those are all naturescapes. I'm doing birds, I'm doing flowers, I'm doing scenes. So yeah, my love of nature and now gardening and birding, I love going out, listening to birds and walking in the woods and connecting, listening to the trees. So all of that, yeah, that comes out in my quilts for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Who introduced you to quilting?
1: Oh, that was my mother. Yeah, 100% my mother. When I was in high school, she had a quilt store. And so I was 15 and I never even went into the store. I thought it was weird. I thought it was a bunch of old ladies. I wasn't interested in going there at all. And then when they moved up to Perth and I was in Ottawa, I'd finished school. I came back to Perth for a little bit and I'd met my partner at that point. I took a quilting class with my mom, which I'd never done before. She kept wanting me to take a class with her. And I finally said, okay, I'll take a class. And so I did the once a week sampler class with my mom and I hand pieced a queen size sampler quilt. And then I hand quilted it and it took me two years to finish that thing. And I didn't think I was gonna ever quilt again because I had no patience for that kind of stuff. As two years. I don't have that kind of time. I don't wanna spend that kind of time making something that I get one thing out of every two years. But then, you know, as I worked in the store with her when she was in Perth, I started seeing all these new things. That was the time of Eleanor Burns and the rotary cutter, right? And all of a sudden, quick quilts were happening. And I started seeing contemporary quilts as well in the store and what art quilts could look like. So I started taking some courses from a woman actually down, her name is Jean Boyd. And she used to teach at the St. Lawrence College. She taught a design class, a textile design class. And so I went and did that with her and learned so much. It was so amazing. And then took another course with another actually she's American with Joan Wolfram and she came to Canada and did a week long retreat out in Olds Alberta. And again I was on design and color theory and Joan is she's amazing. She's an amazing quilter and has a really amazing ability to express design really well. She's got a bunch of books. Totally recommend them every single one of them. They're all really good. Anyway, so those were like three really big pillars for me. And there was one more. There was Anne Bird. And I took another course from her. And she's a Canadian quilter. She's got quilts in museums. She's an amazing Canadian quilter. And I took a course with her. And it was a color wash where you would use like the little calicos to create a color wash landscape. And I hated it. <laughs> I didn't do very well at all. The one thing that I learned from Anne, and we are still friends today, Anne said, you know, it's really important to learn what you don't like. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally true. So you don't have to be able to do everything. You're allowed to just stick to the things you like. And if you learn what you don't like, that's okay. So that was a really good lesson. So those were four of the most influential people in my quilt world, for sure.
0: Well, I was expecting you to really like the landscape. When you said landscape... (laughs)
1: Like it at all? Not the color
0: wash. It was having to
1: do that color wash calico thing, and just no. I like the realism. I'm not into the impressionist style at all. I love it to look at, but it's not
0: my thing to do at all. I even pulled my grandson aside last night and said, "Look at this. Look at what she's doing." And we watched your video of your thread painting and how you put that landscape with the cloth that you dyed yourself and then created that background for your piece to do the thread painting on. And it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, so that's about the closest I get to an impressionistic style, I would say, but it's all solid colors. I can't do the calicos. Yeah, or hand dyes. They're a little, not quite solid, but they're definitely not prints.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite quilt? And this could be one that you made or one that somebody else made.
1: Yeah, I do have a favorite quilt actually. And it was one that my mom made. And it's this very, I would never pick the colors. It's like a Kelly green and a brown, an orangey brown color and a whole bunch of other colors. And it's really basic, nine patch quilt and it was originally tied it wasn't even quilted at the time and it was my brother's quilt my younger brother and I ended up getting it and the ties all came out of it and years ago when I got my long arm the first quilt I put on there was that quilt to practice long arming so it's got all these crazy not so great stitches all over it and all these different designs that don't make any sense, but I was able to go kind of in each block and try a different pattern. And so it's like a sampler of stitching in it. And we use it now as like our picnic blanket. It's just kind of been around for a long time. And I don't know, I like it. It's not something I would ever aspire to make. And I would certainly never enter it into any kind of quilt show. (laughs) But it just has a lot of people in it over the years who have slept underneath that particular quilt and who have had their hands on that quilt.
0: I like that. It has to bring back great memories too.
1: Yeah, we've always used it as our picnic blanket. When my kids were little, we would go off to various festivals and whatever. And that was the picnic blanket we always used. And so then I was able to kind of repurpose it again when I put the quilting on it. And the other fun part about that was all of like my kids and my partner and anybody who came around tried the long arm. All kinds of different people have stitches on that
0: quilt now. So I don't know. It's just got a nice feeling to it. Yeah. What tool are you so happy that you have in your quilting?
1: I do love my long arm. There was a little hiatus of time when I didn't do stitching and quilting and art. It sounds almost tragic, but my brother passed away about 19 years ago, my younger brother, and he died by suicide. And it was a very traumatic experience for our family. He was 30. It was a lot. You know, I had young kids at the time, and it made being creative very difficult. I did not have that creative ability for a long time, no interest in creating in any way. And that's when I went into real estate. I needed to make some money. I needed to have an income coming in for my family. And so that's when I went off and did that. And then I wanted to come back to the quilting. So it was about eight years later. And I thought, okay, no, I'm ready to be back in that space again. But if I'm gonna do it, I want a long arm. (laughs) And if I'm gonna do it, I want to bring sustainability into it as well. So those became new focuses for me. Long arms weren't really a thing when I kind of left the quilt world. That was back in the early 2000s. You didn't have a long arm in your regular sewing studio back then. The shops might have one, but not the average quilter. It wasn't accessible that way. And so that became kind of a new thing while I was gone. I had a learning curve to catch up on and figure out. But the thing I loved about it was I can do my thread painting on it. And it's like having a giant hoop for my thread painting with a big area that I can actually see. Otherwise, I was working underneath a domestic arm and often in a six or eight inch hoop. So it was really small space and I kept having to move the hoop. And then I would have bulk from all the thread work and I'm having to roll up a big piece because I'm trying to maneuver it underneath the arm of the domestic sewing machine. So moving to the long arm for thread painting, it was again, a total technique shift because now I'm moving the needle and the head of the sewing machine, (laughs) not the fabric. But I love playing with it. It's really amazing to have that kind of freedom of space and visual access to the piece that I'm working on. And I've learned how to long arm quilt as well, which is also really fun. (laughs) So yeah, I would say my long arm machine and I have an Innova. It's a very basic sewing machine in terms of long arms. It does have a stitch regulator, but I hardly ever use that. I don't use that while I'm thread painting. And it's a 10 foot frame and an 18 inch Innova long arm. So very, very basic, not schmancy in any way, not computerized really.
0: Did you have the opportunity to try a long arm somewhere else before you bought it? Or did you just jump in with both feet and went for it?
1: No, I went around to all the shows. Quilt Canada was in Toronto one year and I went down to a show in Syracuse. I can't remember the name of the show that was there. Yeah, I traveled around to a bunch of different shows. There was a show in Ottawa. There would be... Bunch of different vendors with different machines. And so I was really researching, trying to find the one that I wanted. And I really wanted a very basic sewing machine. I wanted a quiet long arm, which was a big thing. I tried a bunch of different machines, and then I have a lot of sensitivities to noise. I don't like a noisy machine. And so that was an important feature for me. And so trying the different machines kind of gave me that. I also didn't want anything with a plastic body, I wanted a metal body or parts. I didn't want plastic parts. So yeah, the ANOVA fit the bill really well. And I ended up getting it from a dealer that actually went out of business not long after that. <laughs> oh no. I don't think you can get ANOVAs in Canada anymore. Maybe in out
0: West. I think you can out West. Huh. Well, hopefully yours won't break down.
1: I'm actually really comfortable with doing the tech work myself. I've thrown my timing on my machine before and I just figured out how to fix it. I don't recommend that for everybody, but I'm pretty comfortable with working with machinery and tools. And I have people in my life who also help me with that kind of stuff. And Inova has really great videos on how to set your timing. Watch those videos meticulously and got it set right. So I'm pretty comfortable diving into that though.
0: Well, I guess if you could build your house, you can fix your machine. Yeah, I think so. I was surprised after I got into quilting how many different steps we go through. Do you like a certain step more than the others or do you like all the steps along the way?
1: I'm learning to appreciate them all. I will say that. There used to be a time when I hated having to put a sleeve on and do a binding. But now I actually kind of appreciate the slow space that that has and the finishing of the project. So I've learned how to appreciate that. I find piecing takes a long time. I'm always surprised. Like I've done all the design work and I've done all the cutting out and I'm excited and ready to go. And then it just is this sort of slog. (laughs) Okay, it's just this machine work going over and over again. So I don't do a lot of piecing because I find it frustrating. I usually do thread work instead. I'd rather do thread work than piecing. But no, I've tried to figure out how to enjoy every process. You know, when it comes to felting, I actually get the wool from my neighbor who lives across the road and I go over and I help with the shearing of the sheep. And then I wash the wool, I dry it, I pick it, I card it, and then I felt it. And I kind of love every single step. I really like getting my hands in the wet wool. I like doing the picking and cleaning it up and I like doing the carding. So yeah, I've learned over the years, I would say I was less patient when I was younger. But now I feel like, no, every step along the way has its purpose and gets you to where you want to be. So it's kind of important
0: to acknowledge those along the way. Mm -hmm. Describe your worst quilting experience. Ooh,
1: I think it was probably that quilt that I was talking about with Ann Bird. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying so hard to do this garden picture that I'd taken a photograph from my mother's garden. And my mother was a very avid gardener, flower gardener. She loved gardens. And so I thought, oh, I'd love to do this one. And it had this fence in the background. And I wanted to see all of the flowers coming up the fence and over top of the fence. And then a tree in the background and the sky behind that. And I just could not get this thing to look. It just looked terrible by the time it was done. And I don't say that lightly. I couldn't fix it. <laughs> I couldn't make it look. Like it was supposed to look like basically the fence looked like it was oozing on top of all of the flowers (laughs) instead of the flowers being in front of the fence. But again, I had an opportunity to learn from that and realize that's just not my kind of quilting and that's okay. But it was frustrating at the time. And I was struggling with that a lot because I'd also paid to be there for a week and I was hating it. And I was not happy with it. So that was a big thing for me to wrestle with and be okay with realizing that that was the lesson instead of getting a result that I thought I had wanted. It was
0: tricky though. Yeah. Sometimes it takes looking back on those to realize that, but that had been frustrating going through. Yeah, it definitely was. Why do you think you continued to make quilts rather than spend your time doing something else? I don't know
1: the answer to that. I don't know. I love the way that you can express yourself through textiles and quilts. And it's so unique for every single person. We don't really see repetition in that. And there's this opportunity to explore in so many different ways. And it it feels like a creative journey rather than just making quilts. And I just want to keep seeing where I'm going to go next. That's really what I'm after is what's around the corner. I love this part right now, but where is that going to lead me? And what else am I going to do? And I've always got a thousand ideas on the go of my next projects and what I'd love to get to. Yeah. I think that's just the thing is like, I'm excited to see what I do next. It is exciting.
0: Yeah. Do you keep your ideas in your head or you have them listed out somewhere?
1: No, they're mostly in my head. Yeah. Yeah. They're mostly in my head. I feel like if I write them down and then I never get to them, then maybe I've let myself down. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on myself. Sometimes if I know I'm going to be getting to something, then yeah, I'll, I'll write them out. But Mostly it's just ideas. And I also don't want to, yeah, I don't want to be committed to something if things change in my life and I go in a different direction, then that's okay. So yeah, they're mostly just in my head.
0: And who have you made your quilts for? Lots
1: of friends and family. Yeah, I've done lots of quilts for friends and family for sure. But a lot of the time I make the quilts for me. Not with the idea that I'm going to keep the quilt, but because I want to go through the process of making the quilt. And then I sell them and they go off to live in other people's homes. And those people get to enjoy that finished work. I don't feel like I'm losing anything when I sell them because the process for me was what I needed. I don't need the finished quilt.
0: And there's so many people out there that appreciate having a quilt because It's not their cup of tea. Yeah, they're not doing the work behind that.
1: Yeah, so I do get a lot of commissions as well. I get people asking me to do different quilts. And I love doing commissions because again, takes me down a road I probably wouldn't have thought of going down on my own. So it's kind of nice.
0: Yeah. What are you working on right now?
1: I am working on a swan piece. I did a swan piece with three swans a few years ago. It was an adult pair and a signet. This is a single swan and it's on a background. I started upcycling fabrics. So I got a beautiful cotton tablecloth and I've over-dyed it with indigo. And now I'm going to stitch a swan onto that. Yeah, it's a big piece. I'm excited about it. Do you have swans around where you live? Yeah, we do. We get them here through the winter. The trumpeter swans come from the north and hang out here for the winter. And so we get to see them and they fly over my house to the water that's not far from here. We hear them in the winter, which is so cool to hear a swan flying overhead. Yeah, it's pretty exciting to see them. I love going and visiting the swans.
0: That has to be pretty to see them out in nature. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Describe your sewing space.
1: I have a separate studio from my house. It's about 12 by 24, and it has an office space in it as well, because I also have a day job still. So I do my day job in there in my office space, but then I have a large cutting table. I have my long arm. I have a view of the garden out front of my studio space. It's not a very exciting studio. I'm actually in the works of designing a new studio for myself, where I can actually have enough space to have people come and do some workshops there, live, like in-person workshops. But the one I have right now is kind of crammed full of all my supplies, and it also ends up as a bit of a storage space because we don't have basement space in our house. So I end up with my children's furniture. <laughs> they want me to store things for them until they're moving to the next space or whatever. So it's pretty full of stuff, but it's nice. It's my little space. Yeah.
0: Share a quilting tip.
1: I guess because I do free motion thread painting, free motion embroidery work, that's probably the place that I would offer up a tip. And I would say the biggest tip is to not be afraid of your sewing machine, first of all, if you've never tried doing free motion work give yourself a few hours and sit down and play with it because you only get good at it by doing it. Don't be afraid of your sewing machine. Don't be afraid of your tension. Play around with it, make it right. And then you'll be much happier doing your thread painting. And then it's not hard. It's not challenging anymore. And the other thing about free motion embroidery, which is different from free motion quilting, you want to move faster than you think you do. You want to have a slightly longer stitch, like an eighth of an inch stitch, or maybe a little bit longer than that even, and just relax, move a little faster and relax.
0: That's good. Thanks. Now, I always assume that quilting was your hobby first, and then it became a business for you. So can you describe how it went from being a hobby to a business? It moved actually very quickly
1: from being a hobby to a business. I was in my early 20s and my mother had her quilt store. I was playing around with contemporary quilting at the time, not landscapes at all. I was doing more geometric shapes and playing around with color. did a double attic windows and that kind of thing. And because my mom had the store and I was making these quilts, I had them up on the wall and somebody walked in and asked if they could buy it. And I went wait a minute, you want to buy that? And she said, I think it's amazing. Can I have it in my house? I want to buy that. And that was the first time I realized that I could make something that somebody else would want. That I just didn't stop from there. I just jumped right in. I'm like, okay, I can make quilts for a living. I can do this. My living was fairly meager for a long time about it, but we lived on very little anyway. So it was fine at the time. But yeah, I pretty much just jumped right in.
0: Looking back, my mind's racing to so you had to come up with a price really quick. Did you think you undercut yourself on that first sale?
1: No, I don't actually. <laughs> because my mother was a businesswoman and I lived in a community where there were a whole bunch of artists making their living out of their art. We've got potters and woodworkers and Metal workers, all kinds of people in this local community. And, you know, my in laws were both artists as well. So I had people already talking to me about not underselling yourself. No, I felt really great about the price, and she felt really great about the price. And to me, that's a great exchange. It's not the same amount I would charge today for that same piece, but I'm also a different person today. So.
0: So share the name of your business and tell us how you came up with that name.
1: Okay. So I have a couple, (laughs) my website is bridgettoflaherty.com, but I go by the name, The Sustainable Quilter. And The Sustainable Quilter is because I really want to help people learn how to become more sustainable in their quilting practices. And it looks like different things for different people. But I really want to be able to show people what those options are. So I have products for sale on my website that would be in the sustainability realm. So I have organic cotton thread. I have recycled content threads. I have kits that I do for my embroidery that are made with organic fabric. And all of my packaging, anything that I'm ever shipping is always done with recycled content materials. And I'm paying a lot of attention to that. So yeah, under the Sustainable Quilter is where my business is now. And it's because I want everybody to become the Sustainable Quilter.
0: As I looked at the Sustainable Quilter website, I was curious, did your quilting come first or did the sustainability come first?
1: Oh, the quilting came first for sure. When I started quilting, this was in the early 90s when I started quilting. and Sustainability was not on anybody's radar at that time at all. And so there weren't sustainable options. We used cotton, which was great. So we used cotton materials, natural materials, but there was no consciousness of what was going into the materials. And there weren't certification bodies like the Global Organic Textile Standard really only started up, I think, in the 2000s, maybe, maybe late 90s. And the Okotex as well hasn't been around since then. Those are newer standards that apply to materials and the production of those materials to make sure that they are safe and free from harmful products that go into the production of them and making sure like the global organic textile standard also really focuses on the welfare of the employees, the people that are working in those industries. And so there's that whole social piece as well that wasn't on anybody's radar in the 90s. It just wasn't. And it certainly wasn't on mine. And it wasn't until I started getting into the building industry work that I was doing and sustainable building and sustainable materials and practices that I started to learn about the impacts of the materials on the environment and how... Significant that really was, and the amount of energy that's used to produce those materials, and the amount of water that's used to produce those materials. And so, no, definitely the quilting came first, and my free motion embroidery. I just didn't have the tools to be aware at the time. And now I do. And it's still, I would say, not at the forefront of most people's minds. And I would say that I'm in a niche area. And I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to help people have better understanding and find those options that they can use.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you've also started a podcast to promote this. This is wonderful. It's called Threads of Sustainability, correct? Yeah. Threads of Sustainability. Congratulations I... on having, did I see at least 26 episodes out? Yep. I've got
1: 26 episodes out now. And last month I had over 1,200 listeners,
0: which was amazing. That's exciting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. I can't imagine if there are 1,200 people in a room listening to me talk, that would be amazing.
0: (laughs) Share about starting your podcast, how that came about.
1: It came out of this idea. It actually started because I was interviewed on another podcast about sustainability and I was interviewed on the Quilter on Fire with Brandy Maslowski and we were talking about sustainability in the quilting industry and what that looks like. I had already been doing guest speaking events to different quilt guilds and I was at the Canadian Quilters Association. They have a national show and in 2019 they had me come and talk about green quilting and what that can look like. So I've already been talking about it for a number of years and It's already been an important part of what I'm doing for a long time now. But I started realizing that there was an opportunity to dig into the details of what sustainability can look like for people to get a better understanding of it and that a podcast could be a great forum for that. So it's a very niche podcast. But I think it's also really important. I really focus on sustainable practices. So some of my guests have included artists who are doing activism work. I've had Lorraine Turner. She's from Calico Horses. She does beautiful thread painting and Calico work. And a lot of her work is around animal advocacy. And Janine Heschel is another amazing thread painting artist. I have an affinity for thread painting artists. (laughs) but she's out of Austria and she did a donation piece for the Jane Goodall Foundation. Her work is astounding, astounding. So they're activists. Their materials aren't necessarily what we might want to frame as sustainable, but the work that they're doing and the point of their work is part of sustainability because we need to know where species are endangered. We need to know where there's issues around social issues and social problems, those activists as artists are an important part of sustainability. So that's one lens that I look at it from. And then there's the materials part. So I've had somebody who produces organic cotton thread come in and talk to me. And I've had somebody from the Oeko-Tex Standard come in and talk to us about what that standard means and how you can actually access materials and know that those materials have the Okatex Standard 100 on them. And I've talked to all kinds of other people from upcyclers and people doing thrifting and find the materials that they want to make quilts from. And then I've talked to people like Zach Foster, who has this online community that really focuses on a self guided journey. And for me, the idea of Filling our own cups in order to be in a space where we can share in our communities, that's a big part of sustainability. If we aren't okay as individuals, we can't do anything for anybody else in terms of sustainability. The planet doesn't matter if we're not okay. The people in our community don't matter if we're not okay. So having a place and a space where you can fill your cup and be supported, hugely important. So it's all these different ways of looking at sustainability. There's no just one thing. And sustainability is kind of founded on these three different pillars. In the sustainability world and development world, it's called people profit planet. But I don't really like that because it's very, very capitalistic. I prefer the idea of our community, our benefits, and the materials we're using. So what are we getting out of the projects that we're doing? Who are we communicating and connecting with while we're making them? And what materials are we using? And without all three, we don't have sustainability. So we need to start taking on each of these individual parts so we can bring them together and really get a sustainable future.
0: That was a long (laughs) answer. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an important message, so thank you. Is there anything else about your business that you wanted to share?
1: Yeah, I've actually got, well, hopefully by the time this episode is out, it will be out and up and running. But I am introducing an online community called the Green Stitchers Hive. And it's going to be a space where we can come together and explore sustainability in our textile practice and be able to have conversations around sustainability as well. We're going to be having a book club where we're going to be looking at environmental books and we can have conversations around the impacts of those books for us, as well as spaces where we can share our works in progress, a swap space where we can, if we've got materials we're clearing out or needing, we can go into those spaces and share our fabrics with each other or other materials and various other events that are going to be going on. We're going to have weekly sewing circles and just a hive gathering where we can come together and just talk about the things that we're concerned about. And one of the really awesome parts within this community is there will be sort of a sustainability 101 course. So you can learn about the different materials, the histories and what the issues are with them and what's being done now. And a directory of suppliers and places where you can go and purchase the materials that you might want from sources that have already been vetted you don't have to go searching the wild web to look for it it's all contained in one spot and that's going to be a living dynamic directory because there's new people coming along doing new things all the time so it's pretty exciting so that's going to be launching by the end of April and so should be well underway by the end of June and you can find links to that on my website so yeah the green stitchers hype it's coming one of the drivers for me to have this community is to have a shared and collaborative space. It's not just about me teaching people. Although I feel like I've got a lot of background, I've got a lot of knowledge that I really want to share. I want to learn from other people too, because there is so much knowledge out there and so much collaborative energy that does so much more than just the individual. So that's one of the big reasons that I want to have this community is to have a shared
0: experience. That's great. With that, I was thinking, I don't know how many times I've told people, I don't know where my own blind spots are. It's so easy to point out someone else's blind spot, but I know I have them. Everybody has them. of course. So in our conversations, it can bring out Not necessarily in a bad way, but just something we may not have thought of before.
1: Yeah, there's other ways of knowing and other ways of thinking. A great example is a friend, I've known her for a few years now, we're back and forth in the quilt world and she's been working on a thread painting. She sent me a picture of it and it was on this beautiful piece of burlap and she's like, I don't know what to do with this. How do I deal with the borders? And then I asked her the question, does it have to have borders? And she went, oh, I, I thought it did <laughs> I'm like, well, it's up to you. It could have borders. It doesn't have to have borders. Do you want it to have borders? So she thought about that for a while. She ended up going with borders, but it made her stop and think, oh, I could look at this completely differently. And something as simple as that, and just helping you kind of process, yeah, no, actually I feel really good about having borders. Great have borders then. So now she feels really good about her borders instead of trying to struggle with it. But yeah, it's just having those opportunities to have a conversation with somebody else that maybe has a different lens that they're thinking about.
0: Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you have had speaking opportunities. You're continuing to do that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I talk with a lot of different guilds from all over the world and mostly focusing on sustainability and why it matters and what we can do about it and trying to find positive ways forward to work with each individual person, right? Like that's the biggest piece that I'm always wanting to make sure people understand. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. We don't need to get rid of all of our materials because they weren't bought with sustainability in mind. That's not a sustainable practice. Use what you have first. That is the first rule of sustainability is use what you have. Shop your own stash. So yeah, when I get to talk to people, I get to share all of these different ways that they can potentially do even one small action, right? Maybe your next project is an upcycled project or maybe your next project is you decide to buy organic materials instead. So it doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to shift your entire way of thinking. It's just starting to change the way you're approaching and, and understanding fabrics and materials. And also really encouraging people to start becoming the advocates for this. If we start demanding and asking for materials from our local quilt stores that are sustainable materials that have Oeko-Tex standards or have the GOTS certification to them, they're going to bring them in because they want to make their customers happy. And if those retailers start asking their suppliers, well, what do you have that's actually in the sustainable realm? What do you have that's organic? Then those suppliers are going to start bringing those products in. So we have an enormous amount of power as individuals. And I am starting to encourage people to use that power.
0: It's amazing, the power of our voices. Yeah. Where can we find your business?
1: Online, um, BridgettoFlaherty.com. And I'm on social media as well as the Sustainable Quilters. So you can find me on Instagram. And I have a little bit on YouTube. I haven't used it a whole lot in the last little while. And on Facebook, I'm there as the Sustainable Quilter. And yeah, you'll find links to everything from my website.
0: Great. And those links will be on your episode page on aquilterslife.com too.
1: Thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast as a guest and having the opportunity to be on the other side of the interviewing (laughs) and being able to kind of reflect on some of my journey of how I got to where I am and and some of the things that I've done and where I'm going and what I'm at. Thank you for that opportunity. I appreciate that.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. And I so appreciate you being on A Quilter's Life. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye